Hey everyone, my name is Amra Nasser, and today I'll be sharing my story and my insights on the TREP Life podcast. Feel free to follow my work at Abrahamic Center to keep up with projects and events I'm working on. Everyone asks themselves, who am I? What is my purpose? What value do I add to the world and those around me? The answer to these questions can often change over time, but I hope my insights can help you feel empowered about where you are right now and remember that life is an ongoing process. You have the power to change your mindset even in limited circumstances. You can go against the grain. Your likes and interests can be strange. I hope I can make you see the beauty in all of that. Stay updated by checking out new episodes of the most eclectic podcast in the world on Wednesdays and Sundays, streaming on all podcast platforms. Hey, this is Jalen Little, and here's my story I'm sharing on the Trep Life podcast. Let's stay connected. Follow me on social media. I'm at Observe, spelled O-B-S-3-R-V-E, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I hope my experiences inspire you, and remember dreams over doubt, focus over frustration. Sending you good vibes, peace, and purpose on your journey. I am an artist. I am a musician. I am an entrepreneur, and I am a leader. Stay updated by checking out new episodes of the most eclectic podcast in the world on Wednesdays and Sundays. Perfect. Okay, can yes, you hear, can me? hear me? I can hear you. Awesome. Well, right. thank you for joining us. Blessing the uh, Trep Life podcast with your presence. Would you like to introduce yourself to the audience? Sure. Thank you for having me. Um, my name is Amra Nasser. Um, I am from Chicago, and uh, I know I've known Pete since high school, and um, I think we've worked on quite a few things together. Um, so thank you so much for inviting me to do this with you today. Definitely. I'm happy to have you. We have a lot to talk about. Um, You've been involved with so much. You do a lot. Um, So you can speak from a lot of different places, which is awesome. You're a a great fit for the podcast. You know, we're talking about entrepreneurship. We're talking about empowerment. We're talking about empathy. And I think in your own way, you embody all of those characteristics. So you guys are in for a great episode. Um, I'm excited for this conversation. Because um, we haven't talked in a while, so it'll be nice to just catch up. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, so, do you want me to talk a little bit about what I've been up to these days? Yeah. Catch us up with you. What's 2019, 2018 um, well, looking like for you? Yeah. Um, I don't remember... I don't remember when the last time we spoke, if I was telling you what I was up to uh, or where I was working. So, um, so last year, uh, it's been a little bit over a year now. Um, I started working at this uh, place called the Abrahamic Center for Cultural Education. So we are an Islamic art gallery and library located in downtown Chicago. And we educate the community about Islam and Muslims to create a more, hopefully, culturally competent generation to come. So actively fighting Islamophobia. So we do this um, 
through different presentations that we have in our space or we go to other spaces. We work with different universities like UIC, Loyola, DePaul, um, and so on. We also work, um, we are partners with an organization called Communities and Schools. And what they do is they take different nonprofits and they provide uh, programming to CPS schools. So uh, we are also partnered with them. So we, I go out to different CPS schools and do different projects with the students there. And uh, yeah, so that's mostly what I do. I am a programs associate there. So we run um, a series of different events in our space as well. Um, they're generally free or if they cost anything, we usually take the money and we donate it to different organizations. Um, and, and those vary, it just depends on like the theme. Um, and yeah. So take us through why you're passionate about this organization. Right. Um, so this center, the Abrahamic Center, it is a initiative of a larger organization called the Islamic Food and Nutrition Council of America. And they are the leading global certifying body of um, like food and products for halal certification. Um, so we are an initiative of them. They have several other initiatives, like other centers, food pantries, and these sorts of things. Um, so we kind of help them stay nonprofit. Um, so I really like what I do because um, I am a firm believer in nonprofits, and that's just the nature of the work I've always been involved in. Um, it's based, it's rooted in education, and that's just been my entire job history, has been working in different um, areas and schools and these sorts of things. So I love that. Um, and I get to work with different artists as well, because we are an art gallery. So um, getting to be involved in the Chicago art scene has been really humbling and cool. Um, I've met great people working with CIS, just learning about the different, um, different organizations that are out there that are just doing really good work for the community, providing really good services for students that need it. Um, and these things has been um, just overwhelmingly wonderful. Um, and just kind of having, you know, like the freedom to be creative and come up with events and manage and host these different things that will be beneficial, that will educate the community. Um, obviously, the political climate that we're in right now, um, it, it's crucial. Our work is crucial um, for all the different negative things that exist in the media about Muslims. So um, kind of being at the forefront and fighting the good fight, social justice, really important to me. And additionally, like I get to utilize my anthropology degree, which is really cool. Um, so, um, you know, a lot of, uh, there's not very much that, you know, you can do with just a bachelor's in anthropology and sociology. And so like to be able to find a job where I can do that um, as I still plan to go back to grad school and these sorts of things, um, it's, it's quite a treat. So. Okay, so explain to us the like primary distinctions between the three Abrahamic religions, if you could. The differences yeah. between them? Because so, I think they're similar um, to most people think. So our. <laughs> Right, and that's exactly the goal of the space, right? So like the actual, the, the gallery that we have right now is themed the timeline of the prophets. So it kind of takes you through the, um, the shared prophethood or the, the shared prophets in all three Abrahamic faiths and kind of showing it through like 
uh, the Quranic narrative, but showing where they like come together and the overlap in them. So like, you know, like the story of Adam and Abraham and Jacob and, uh, and Noah and Moses and, you know, all of these different characters um, and people that we know and we have heard of their stories, um, just seeing how they overlap and how um, we view them and um, all of these different things. So we have different exhibits. We have from Adam to Muhammad, um, all of the different prophets. Because um, I think religiously, the split that occurred is between what Israel and who who is so like like the like the Jewish faith kind of ends with like Moses and like Christianity kind of stops at Jesus and then um Muslims believe in all of them up to Muhammad but isn't the distinction um, between like Jewish people are of is it Jacob and then or so yeah, yeah. so I'm, okay. I'm my yeah so right I'm having a brain freeze but oh my gosh no that's okay that's okay so um there's uh Abraham's sons there is Isaac yeah. and Ishmael and so like under Isaac um breaks down it goes into like Christianity and Judaism um and then Ishmael is kind of where the bloodline of like Muslims comes from and and sometimes i think that's used in uh some very like harmful ways right yeah yeah um definitely i like i said the media has certainly vilified us uh for quite some time now um almost right almost shy of 20 years um oh yeah yeah i mean since september 11th right yeah um, I mean, I'm not going to say that that was the beginning of discrimination against Muslims, but I think it definitely became this amplified, like, force um, because of 9-11 and then, you know, ISIS and then, like, all these different things right. that happened um, really definitely vilified the Middle East and um, people that just look like us, even if they weren't, you know, of, um, like, had... A Muslim background so like like Sikh people you know they had a beard so they just they those people became targets as well and these sorts of things so um lots of um media portrayals of negativity have caused a lot of different array of problems and um going back to the political climate right yeah it's even been more amplified recently, would you say? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, since the Trump administration, uh, really dangerous rhetoric from the White House. Um, you know, we see that from the Muslim ban to, uh, you know, Ilan Omar sent her back to all of these different things, you know, really spreading that hate. Um, you know, Trump saying things like, I think Islam hates us and like all of these different things that we hear um has definitely um made uh oh and then also like the new zealand shooting all of these things have really felt um like the threat um has been very 3d if that makes sense so i mean in the in this climate you definitely feel that 
what Trump does is is an example of textbook uh, Islamophobia, correct? Oh, totally. Like totally. people I, can't I don't argue even think around that, that, right? An <laughs> argument. I think he would. Right. I think he would be like a proud Islamophobist, you know, like he'd be like, hell yeah, I am, you know? I I see people, um, you know, there's a teacher that we, I think we either both had or at least know of, we're not going to say names. Yes. That, um, you know, (laughs) he says Trump is not a racist. And so I'm like, oh, I, I mean. Yes. I, I, I'm not going to waste my time well, arguing with someone about that. I'm not doing it. Um, right. I mean, this, this person also has quite a track record of other problematic stances as well. I mean, if you just listen to her views about even like the electoral college to like Israel to any, I mean, all of her opinions are very, very, uh, problematically conservative i mean being conservative is one thing that's okay but like hers is like blind patriotism um you know and 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 she's actually acknowledged that as in like yeah i think america is the best she's very into this american exceptionalist idea um and she's proud of that as well and i think that inherently itself um kind of is telling in itself so i mean i'm she really, really doesn't like what I post online. We'll yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't have any plans to delete her though. Just for the record, I don't know why. Yeah, you know, you gotta keep, you gotta keep preaching your truth, and hopefully, they, these people. I know, I know, these Facebook fights tend to be more, more polarizing than anything. Um, but I feel like it's also ineffective to like delete people that don't agree with you. And I get that people do it to like cleanse the energy around them because they don't want to be around people that are very negative. And I, I, and you know, self-care, uh, your mental health and well-being, those are all very important. But at the same time, I think um, if you just only keep people around you that think like you, uh, that's also dangerous, right? Because then you're just, you're either preaching to the choir or you're kind of just um, you're not facilitating in any like progressive conversation. Yeah. And I and although it can be very exhausting to talk to somebody like this, like I also haven't deleted her and other characters as well that you've probably seen trolling and posting on my page um, just because I want them to to understand or at least see that there is another view, whether they agree with it or not. Um, you know, and she. Well, let me say this about you. This person specifically. You don't lose yeah. debates, though. So, are they <laughs> acknowledging that? You know, I think it becomes to a point where I feel like I've said my truth. I'll end up. I'll just stop responding because there's nothing more to add. And after a while, on these sorts of forums where people are going back and forth, and they're they're either repeating themselves or it becomes just personal attacks on a person's character, and that's just ugly and unnecessary. So after that point, I kind of just like stay quiet. And then also when you have several other people making the same argument and adding other additional support, like your work kind of gets done for you. And after a while, you know, whoever seems foolish, like they're just, they just look foolish and, and you got to leave it at that, you know? So 
like I mean, but is there ever a point where there where you see people saying, you know what, I concede that point. Maybe I haven't completely turned to your point of view, but you were absolutely correct. I was incorrect in um, my thinking on that. Um, so let me, like I said before, Facebook so no. fights are very, no, 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 no. I, what I'm saying is like, they're very polarizing. Most people get more anchored into what they believe in because they feel like they're being attacked. Right. Um, now I can't speak for other people, but I can speak for myself. So if I've said something that was problematic and somebody's corrected me, I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I agree with that. You're right. I stand correct. I have done that myself. I, I don't know if people have done that on things that I've shared. Um, but I, I can tell you this one, the, this teacher that we're talking about, once upon a time, she did message me and asked for my opinion on an article. I'm forgetting exactly what it was. Um, it was, but it was something about um, some figure in Pakistan. And she asked for my opinion on it. And I gave it to her. And um, she did end with like, oh, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. Thank you. So that was really okay. cool. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, I can't, I, I'm, I think a majority of the time it is polarizing. I think people just get reaffirmed. Either they've strengthened their debate skills and like learned more points of the other side that they can now learn how to argue or, um, you know, they just get angry and frustrated and, and, and they don't care. I, I think it's, ego is a really... You know, it's a big thing. Um, I was gonna swear. And I mean, I you can swear on this stuff. podcast. It's cool. <laughs> yeah, no, we're no, not on fine. radio just, censored uh... or anything like that. I, I personally right. won't no, swear. No, no, I would. Um, but yeah, my guests swear. It's cool. Right. right. No, it's okay. I'll keep it a little keep it I'll keep it classy for, for yeah. your podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so um, backtracking to grad school I want to touch on that but I also want to take it further back to Harper William Rainey Harper College yeah the good old so I had Jalen on here earlier I have plans to I was supposed to have Kendra on Oh, yeah, she's, she'd be a great person. As well. I you had Cindy, Cindy, all these wonderful, wonderful Cindy. Harper folks that you're naming that I've had the pleasure to know. Um, so, yeah, well. we definitely name-dropped you. I think we name-dropped you in Cindy's episode, right? And then... And not specifically kind of like, a, oh, I have a good group of girlfriends that we group chatted, and that was definitely okay. part of that group chat. But I don't think there's any specific okay, name we definitely name-dropped you for sure on Jalen's episode. So that will come out and I'll oh, probably that's... name drop you on Kendra's episode or she will probably, well, you know, it'll come up. Yeah. So you're going to be named. Yeah. I, I, I had the... <laughs> but... Yeah, that'll be nice. I, I definitely had the privilege to not only work with uh, Kendra um, at Harper, but also again at U of I when we both transferred. So that was super awesome. fun. So yeah. Harper college. Is that where you felt like you started to become a leader or kind of describe Harper for us? What was that experience like? Um, well, I wasn't ever initially planning to go to Harper, actually. My, my plan was to go to like a four-year school. 
um, because I worked really, really hard in high school and yada, yada. And I I feel like my leadership skills kind of started more in high school. Okay, Um, take us to high school then. But I think... What was high school like? High school... (laughs) Um, We're not going to name the high school. Okay, on a social level? You know, another conversation, which is sad. But yeah. Right. Right, right. Um, So... High school was socially, and I didn't care for it in like a, oh my God, I had so many friends and yada, yada. Uh, But academically, I felt like um, it was kind of something I really, so I I decided my freshman year of high school, like, I'm going to be in the National Honor Society, and I'm going to graduate top 25 students, and I'm going to be involved. So when I was younger, I, my parents couldn't afford to put us in extracurricular activities, because we just we didn't have the means to and stuff um but in high school everything all the clubs and activities other than like sports um and I think band they they were free um so I was able to join a lot um of things so I I got to um be really involved in school in you know different things cultural awareness to drama club to you know um different leadership forums and these sorts of things I, I really enjoyed that um I, so I ended up graduating, um, and I, I accomplished all of the goals that I had, um, but I, I guess I really felt defeated because, um, I was the only one that graduated top 25 students that, like, didn't go to a four-year university, um, and that was, like, a big financial move as well, and so I guess I felt small initially when I was going to to Harper because, you know, there was all those stereotypes that I heard and I fell into and I believed like, you know, Harper is high school part two and yada, Which yada. And like, if you go to Harper, you're not smart. <laughs> it, is, it is high school. It's well, District 211 you, but yeah, it's not all it is. I, I see. Like, well, I'm, I, I really changed my mind after attending. So these are my preconceived notions of going. Um, Cause this is all I was told was this very like negative right. thing. Like Harper's for like, where dumb students yeah. go. And I was like, I'm not dumb. Like, no. I don't want to, you, you know, definitely all this make Harper work for um, Yeah. And you know, I was like, I ended up, I was good. I was actually fully set to go to Loyola. I went to their orientation. I had everything set. Um, and then uh, last minute, my parents were like, no, 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 like you got to go to Lloyd or you got to go to Harper because, you know, we can't afford for you to do this. And I was like, OK, um, so uh, I didn't get to like I think it was like two weeks before classes started. I like signed up to go to Harper. So I like I really missed out on that window of opportunity to like get scholarships because I had the GPA and everything to like to uh, potentially get a full ride at Harper. And uh, unfortunately, had I been smarter about planning that, I, I um, probably didn't, wouldn't have had to pay. But um, I think going to Harper How did you was get a full ride? the How smartest. Did they have the... I, I think you had to apply for it ahead of time. Oh, you had to so deadline do things. And I was so... Yeah, and I was like so last minute that it was just kind of like, eh. So anyways, I don't know. I, I was just not very smart about it. Well, and really like, know. you know, so, like my sister. Yeah. And, you know, like my uh, me and my sister were like the first ones to go to college here. You know, I, I had older cousins, but like they didn't really go to college. Um, and like my parents went to college in Pakistan. They didn't go to college here, you know, or they took like adult classes at like at university or at harper and uh cod and stuff yeah yeah but they didn't they weren't like on that 
I have to apply for colleges right, right. type of thing. Um, those are different. So worlds. yeah, and then I, I joined Harper. Right, right. Um, and then I went to Harper and, um, you know, I really, I really enjoyed, you know, the newfound flexibility and freedom of my schedule. And um, I, I liked the classes. I liked the professors. And then Cindy actually was the one that's like, hey, you should join student government. And um, I was like, okay, sure. And so then I joined and uh, it was a great experience. And then I was a, I joined in as a, a vice president uh, for a little bit. And because um, we had multiple vice presidents and then um, the spring going into my second year, we had elections um, and then I got to be, I got to be president. So that was really, really fun. Um, and I, I think uh, I, I joined some leadership forums and we did, you know, a, a big part of being um, part of student government. Uh, there was a lot of overlap with different cultural groups on campus, like Black Student Union and uh, PAXA, which is like the Indian Pakistani Association, I think. Um, I could have had that name wrong. Um, <laughs> um, and I think Harper Pride. There was, uh, there was a bunch of different groups on campus, but, and they all worked really close together because there, we shared offices and these sorts of things. Um, and then like student activities board and stuff like that. Um, so we all kind of shared a space. We all kind of became friends. So that's also how I met Jalen. Um, and then I met Kendra from doing student orientation. So I held multiple jobs on campus as well. So I worked at the library. I worked at orientations. I worked at the gym. I worked. So I, I did a lot of different things on campus. Um, and I think we ran a really good student government. Um, I'm really proud of it. I'm proud of everybody that was part of it because I, I want to say one of the administrators said that it was probably one of the best student governments we had in a few years. So that was really encouraging. Um, I got, uh, I got awarded uh, organization officer of the year um, for student government, which is really humbling as well. Um, and we got, I got to give, you know, the class gift during commencement and, um, just, I just got to meet really good people. Uh, I got to, you know, facilitate on good, like for a change in, um, different policies on campus. And, um, it, it was, it was a really, really good experience. Definitely. And so I want that to be, encouraging the people who are going to Harper like there are certain pitfalls that you have to watch out for with going to a school so close to home right you want to get out of the that high school routine but that's not what yes. all it has to be for you it can be a, a great yeah. experience um, and you're putting yourself in a great position financially for what's that second Absolutely. phase of college for you so Absolutely. And another thing to note, too, was, you know, my time at Harper, I had, um, I saw so many people from high school uh, that came back. So there was this thing called the Harper Rebound Group, yep. <laughs> we called them. So they were students that, you know, went to a four un university, and then they like partied the whole first year, and they completely flunked out and came back and were taking the same classes that they were paying quadruple the price for, you know, like that your English 101s or whatever, um, just because, you know, and that's a tremendous waste of time and money that you're, you know, if you're planning to go party immediately in college, like wait it out, you know, if you're not um, mature enough to handle so, a college yeah. schedule. Yeah, and it's a waste of, I, I tell people, 
Right. I tell them, I'm like, if you don't have a full ride for your freshman year anywhere, whether that's a sports scholarship or an academic scholarship or whatever, like you need to go to community yeah. college. It just makes sense at this point. College is so expensive. It just makes sense. And, and, and that's the way people Absolutely. should look at it as a financial decision rather than as a yep. character or a reward decision or a social decision or whatever. Yeah, but Harper, you know, it has so many good tools and it's such a good community college. Like universities, they love transfer students. It's easier to get into more competitive schools as a transfer student than it is as a freshman. And I think a lot of people don't know that. Um, so you know, Harper also offers really cool features like you can get a four-year general education degree um, from Northeastern University through Harper College, which is really nice. Um, they also have like that Pathways program for people that want to do engineering at U of I. So it's like a very specific designed curriculum that's like guaranteed to transfer over for people that want to do engineering. And engineering is very competitive, uh, especially at U of I, which is an engineering school, right? So like if you're on that pathways program, it's kind of like you're in, right. you know, and like you're saving money and it, it's just, it's a really smart move. So take us through your decision to ch- of choosing your major. When did that happen? Um, that happened at U of I, okay. I think. Um, Were so you thinking I, about other things I, before then? Or? Yeah, so I initially transferred um, as a poli-sci major. Um, and I started taking poli-sci classes. And I was like, yeah, no, I can't do this. And I remembered, um, I was thinking about what I enjoyed learning the most. And it was actually this professor at Harper, um, his name is Sean Noonan, and he's still to this day one of my favorite professors that I ever had. Uh, he was just like so smart. Does he and organize the he trips? Had this like, I'm not sure. Okay, sorry about I that. just, I, I, no, no, that's okay. I just know that he taught a couple sociology classes, and um, he just had this really wonderful way to like go on these tangents, and so wonderfully and perfectly like bring him back to the main point and he just like exuded this wisdom and intelligence that I was like I want to be that I want to be that smart um so he he was definitely very inspiring and instrumental in my decision of ultimately choosing sociology um so I decided to do sociology and so I was doing that I got to take wonderful classes and I had some great professors and then I decided to take an anthropology 101 course at um Maybe it wasn't 101. It might have been a different anthropology course. But um, I took an anthropology course at U of I, and it was it was so insightful and moving. And the the professor had done really profound work, and it was so interesting. I think she was studying. I forget her name because uh, she was only there for like a year or something. But she used to her thesis and research was based on. Um, witchcraft in India and I was like wow that's fascinating like you get funded and supported to like go learn about people's cultures and like you know um I I just thought that was really inspiring and I really enjoyed it so then I decided to double major like the end of spring of my junior year and so I only had the summer fall spring and then the following summer term to make up for it um, if I wanted to graduate in the four-year time span. And uh, luckily, I, I was blessed enough to be able to do so. So I ended up double majoring. I wrote two thesis papers. And 
yeah, that's what I did. <laughs> so anthropology, what are you looking to do with that now going forward? So there's there's different branches of anthropology. So I majored in sociocultural and linguistic anthropology. And um, so, I mean, there's other ones. There's like archaeology or biological anthropology or whatever. So Indiana Jones um, would be I, like archaeology. An archaeology, yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I really, really, really enjoyed, I think, linguistics the most. I, I mean, Pete, let me tell you, I, I feel so blessed in the types of classes I was able to take at U of I, um, because it was such an, they were both such interesting majors, you know, like I got to take classes like talking race and racism. I got to take African cinema, film and cinema, you know, I got to take um, language and humor, where we just studied comedy. I, I took Asian martial arts, and I thought it was just going to be anthropological, like theory of martial arts but like our professor actually made us do martial arts in class we were doing Wing Chun in class for like an hour and then talking about it um so I was like I'd come out of class with like bruises all over my arms but it was so fun it was so interesting um and I got to meet some wonderful professors so um yeah I I think if I decide to pursue anthropology it would be through a linguistic lens uh, because I just think language is fascinating we had an interesting conversation about language in preparation for this episode. So I, I, I think that. Yeah, yeah we did. A little quick one, <laughs> you know, but funny. Yeah. Um, real kind of simplistic, yeah. but interesting nonetheless. Um, yeah. So what is your opinion on this in terms of language? Um, is language ever evolving? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think language, it's, uh, I mean, we add new words to a dictionary every day, um, especially in English. I, there's a lot of languages that are very, they're very, they try to stay very much preserved, but it's hard because of how much things, society and technology is changing that the language just happens to get diluted. Uh, French is a good example of this. They really, really like to stay like keep the French language preserved, but like they, they won't be able to keep up after a while is what I'm saying. Um, I, my, my biggest problem with language specifically with English is how imperialistic it is. Um, you know, it's a business commodity. It's used, um, all over the world is like, this is going to be the connecting language of the world. Um, And it's kind of erasing and eradicating smaller local languages. So you have uh, linguists that are actively out there going to small villages that you can't find on the map that are recording and writing and preserving languages, um, just so they don't get erased. So, So, like, how... Other than speaking a language, how do you preserve it? Um, like writing it down, writing down words and grammar and these sorts of things. So it's like preserved as text. Because um, a lot of language, especially smaller local languages, they can be um, like oral traditions, um, oral languages. Um, so I, I think those are a little bit harder to preserve, especially when there's not a large community that speaks that language. Um, it's not advantageous to learn, like let's say English or Mandarin or perhaps Arabic is to learn, right? As a business skill to have. Um, 
I, I, I just, I don't know. English is, is capitalistic to a fault um, and, and standard Midwestern English at that, right? Because we don't give value to um, African-American vernacular English or Hawaiian pidgin English, right? Like these things are, there, there's a very specific type of English that we think is standard, which we think is good. Um, we also value, you know, European accents of English more. So we're more okay with, let's say, uh, British English or Australian English than we are with Indian English or, you know, these sorts of things. So, um, yeah, my problem with English is uh, the reinforced whiteness that comes with it. And, um, and that's just me being a sociologist, right? Um, and then also just kind of the erasure of culture that comes with it. So, like, and what would, how would you define American culture right now? How would I define American culture right now? Oh, that's a, that's a really big and loose question. Um, in what regards? I don't know exactly how to, to begin to answer that. Okay. Like American youth or like the older Let's generation, like are we talking baby boomers? boomers? Are we talking about millennials? Talk about like millennials. that's a, Let's focus in on that. Let's talk about millennials. Yeah. Um, that is a very so open question. How would I question. define? Yeah, it really is. Uh, I think millennial culture is um, being a millennial myself. I think we're very socialist, which is comforting. Um, I think we uh, more, of course, than our older baby boomers and these sorts of things, right? Uh, where we really uh, care about community and I think we're a little bit more uh, aware and careful about um, other groups of people and uh, being PC I think that's more um, that's more of a millennial thing um, you know we create these apps like Uber or Airbnb and these are very collective community initiatives right it's people helping people we're trying to cut out the middleman i think you know even i think that's why like the bitcoin thing and all these things became really big um i i think people are seeing more of the danger of capitalism they i think they're seeing more of the the threat of like these larger forces and who's benefiting from them um versus like us and i think you know you know um, our, our social security and like all of these different things that are kind of just in threat right now. Um, we're, we're trying to be more of a collective force. And I think that's why there's so many young folks that are like pro Bernie, because even his ideas are, are quote unquote radical uh, to, to the traditional capitalistic mindset, because they are fundamentally more socialist, having universal health care, having, you know, student loan forgiveness, and all of these sorts of different initiatives. Um, I think seeing the importance of that and fighting for that, um, I think that's a really cool millennial feature that we have. Okay, okay. So Bernie would be your candidate for 2020? Uh, yeah, Bernie, Warren, Warren, Bernie, either or, I'm okay with. Um, there, as there's a lot of candidates. It's very saturated for the Democratic Party. Um, and all of their 
policies are very similar. I mean, it, it's all just kind of a variety or just range of the grayscale right now. Um, I, I like Bernie the most because I think he is the most um, upfront and raw. I, I, whereas Elizabeth Warren kind of hesitates in this way of where she wants to like be like, they're like, are you going to raise taxes? And she kind of like dances around her answer because she doesn't want to be up front where Bernie's like straight up like, yes, we have to because X, Y, Z, right? And I appreciate that sort of honesty. Um, so, uh, you know, because a lot of politicians will say like, no, 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 we weren't, we're not going to do this. And then they just do it anyways. And then everyone's like, what the heck you lied to us? Whereas Bernie's kind of like, no, this is what's going to happen. Stay tuned for it. But this is the benefits of doing this thing. Um, so I, I kind of like that. Would you ever consider a career in politics? <laughs> you know, a lot of people tell me to do so. I, so this is my, this is my problem. I have a problem participating in a system that I don't believe in. Um, now, that's not to say that I don't acknowledge my privilege in the ways that I use the system or I'm involved in it anyways, right? Like I, I did go to college, I did take out loans or like whatever, whatever. Um, but I'm saying like in a political sense, you know, just <laughs> being a first generation Pakistani woman, um, you know, a Muslim and like these, these different parts of my identity where it's like, do I wanna support a country that like likes to drop drones in mine? I don't know, you know, that doesn't seem, I, I feel guilty in participating or being complacent in that. Um, now, I think I'm not patriotic enough. Um, I think I'm too radical in my worldview and I don't think that people are ready for that in regards to like, you know, people are like, oh, this great country of America, like our system is broken, our system is broken, we just need to fix it. And I, I don't think that that's true. I think the system is working exactly as intended. And, uh, and that's where my problem lies. I think you need to scratch and you just scrap it all and start over. I don't believe in the con, I think the constitution is inherently problematic as is. Um, I think, you know, the country was created to serve wealthy white men and it's been doing that um and i i don't see how we can sit here and call it a broken system so i i don't know so there is that but i i do want to be involved in ways that are uh, effective to the community so i think working more in like local politics um you know like if i was like mayor or something um I think it would be a good place to start, like, um, like if I could be like mayor of Chicago and like, you know, I would be in charge of the CPD. And if I can affect change within that, like, you know, that might be small scale on like a national level, but like I'd be serving my city well, you know, and like hopefully that would affect change. But like I cannot serve where like, you know, my boss is somebody like Donald Trump. Exactly. Does that yeah. Make sense? Okay, so I have another question. Um, yeah. What, how do you feel about reparations, specifically for African Americans? And two, does, well, I'll let you answer that one and then we'll go to the second question. In regards to, like, um, for example, like this new, uh, like the marijuana legalization and like 
dropping those charges type of thing? No, I mean, like, specifically as, as far as... Or, like, about the slavery. Yeah, well, slavery, Jim Crow <laughs> era. I would even say as far as today and how, you know... Okay. Yeah, yeah I just wasn't sure if you meant, like, as, like, a local Illinois no. thing or... In, in a larger, larger scale. scale, as a country. Um, yeah, what do I feel about them? Yeah, would, would you be I, um, for them or against them? I, for me, it's very similar to um, what we do with Native American folks, right? So, like, it's like, oh, yeah, we committed mass genocide against your folks. Here's a scholarship. I hope that makes it better. Um, I don't think that it's a, it should be taken as, like, an excuse of, like, oh, this is my apology gift. You know, um, I think a more effective, a more effective method is actually like providing services and opportunities to larger communities than just like handing them money. And and I'm not saying money isn't helpful because it is, but like investing in, investing in those communities, um, you know, creating programs and initiatives that are going to help uh, vulnerable kids, um, and also like changing policies, um, better practices, you know, with your police department, these sorts of things where it's like these practices, like if you just hand somebody a paycheck and you don't change the way that your police department is running your neighborhood and you're still targeting black folks disproportionately, I don't see how that's helpful. I think it's a band-aid. I think it has to be a larger, a, a larger thing to fix. I, I, I can't, you can't just throw money at something and hope that it's going to make it better. And I'm not saying it's not, it, it, money isn't helpful. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying, I think it has to be more, it has to be a deeper change than that. Okay. So. What, what is your opinion? I believe that. Um, I agree with what you're saying as far as it has to be, it can't just be a check. Um, There should be more institutional changes, but I think money, because of our political system, everything is controlled by money. So you need Mm -hmm. to give to these super PACs because politicians don't do anything on principle. They do it based on a power position. So you have right, to have power right. over the politicians. The only way to do that is to give them money, the campaign, you know. Um, so that, that that's my position on it, that uh, you... Like it's a good start? I think you need the money in order to affect change. I don't think grass... Right. I think the way our current political system is set up and our two-party system... Um, is corrupt on both sides and that <laughs> right. um, you know you would have to in order to affect change you have to have money in front of these police departments like that's I think it, it comes down to economics at the end of the day I don't think Chicago police right. departments like if the black community in Chicago has money and they're putting their money as an economic engine all together, right? Collectively, they're saying mm-hmm. they're using their power, their leverage 
to say, oh, he killed a kid. He has to go. And you know what? His boss is fired, too. And you know what? We might even just sue the insurance company that insures their their guns and their their badges, really. Right. Or all their equipment, all of it. So I think, but when you're disenfranchised, you can't do that. When you have a surviving right. rather than a thriving mentality, you're not in a position I to do that. It's more, it's easier for people to mistreat someone when they don't have the means to fight back. That's just kind of what well. I'm what do you think about? Okay, because what I was thinking was like, uh, if we're serving communities of color, have more representation within the CPD. So like have those officers you know i I think it doesn't matter because i think it goes back to what you were saying earlier about the system just corrupts people like there are good cops who are just corrupted by how dirty the chicago police department is and i don't care what i'm saying this and i mean it i don't care like you guys are dirty as fuck um Mm. oh shit this is the first time i cussed on my podcast (laughs) i'm glad i facilitated that so we might have to edit that out no joke but uh yeah no that's okay but uh, the chicago police department is so corrupt and it's so blatant absolutely i absolutely i don't respect that as an institution now that's not to say that i don't know individuals who are police officers that i respect and have um you know a cordial relationship with that's not what i'm saying Right. I'm talking about the institution and what it does to people. I don't want to hear the message blue blue lives matter. Uh, protect oh, neither serve. do I. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hear that. Mm-hmm. Because right. here's my thing. It's, oh, you know, there most of us are good cops. We're just trying to get home at the end of the day. That's cool. But you don't check those dirty cops. So you're letting the dirty right. cops run everything. And that's where we have a problem. Right. But hear me out. So, you know, there's statistics that back up, right? Like you have white children using more drugs than black children, but black children are more likely to be searched Absolutely. for crack, right. right? And that's, these are, these are racially. But why is that allowed to happen? Right. Okay. But hear me out. I'm saying if there is an officer on duty, do you think that the officer, do you think the system in place is still let's say it's a black officer and there's a, a black uh, teenager and a white teenager or whatever, do you think he's more inclined to be fair in that situation? Or do you think he's going to still target one over the other? Oh, I think, I, do you I, think it makes a difference? I think he would even, okay. If you're saying they're coming from the same social economic background, right? All things being equal, sure. right? Just to make it equal. Sure. Okay. For this scenario. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think, yeah, he's definitely going to target the black guy more. Absolutely. Even as a black even officer? as a black officer, I think. Uh, okay. Have you seen the film, uh, The Hate You Give? No, I haven't, but I've heard okay, of it. There's, it's a book. It's right? a book as well. I just saw the movie. I, yeah. I never read the okay. book. Um, okay. And I, I overall, I really like the movie. I've had some interesting conversations with people about the movie. Um, but right. there's a scene in there where the cop who's the uncle of the main character admits that he would that he has that intrinsic bias 
I think we've seen historically that it really doesn't matter because you also have to think these cops are trying to get along with an institution that really doesn't respect or value them. Right. Right. So like if a, a black cop is trying to ingratiate themselves into the overall police force. And so they, they're more likely to try to go overboard and prove that they're the same as the other cops. Right. But I think like, you know, as okay so in my head and you can correct me as wrong because i'm not african-american i did so i i don't know but i'm in my head i would think that right a black man has this like intrinsic fear of like what happens when they're confronted by a cop like right like you have this like okay this is how i have to engage in the situation mm-hmm. this is how i have to behave or act right so being a black cop you would have that empathy how that other person feels being a black person yourself so do you think that that would you know kind of inherently change that sort of interaction in and itself where they're like hey i understand that you're scared i understand like i'm not i'm not putting my gun i'm not going to pull my gun on you you know um for no reason or something like this right like this sort of understand do you think that that i think that's i an ideal scenario you don't think that that exists in practice too few of them in practice it doesn't happen i'm not saying that it doesn't happen ever but i would say that that would be the rarity and those are the cops that we need to talk to and see how they're able to maintain that empathy and still vouch and not have that intrinsic bias that comes along with the police force I, i would love to get more of those people around those are who we need to talk to and get involved right Uh, but let me tell you though like if i as as a muslim woman let me say like if i was uh if i was in a situation and you know like as a woman as a brown woman as muslim whatever like i also have a very difficult relationship with with cops with police in general right um so and a lot of cops like that most of the interactions that I've had with cops have been white and they're emboldened Um, especially now right and and it's intimidating even when you're in a position of asking for help you're still nervous even if you didn't do anything wrong I get that um I'm saying like if I was in a situation and I felt danger or something and a cop showed up and he was Muslim or she was wearing hijab or like something where I felt the sense of like community or collectiveness, mm-hmm. I, I would inherently feel safer. I would feel like this person actually is protecting me. Have like you there's had that a experience? less of a defensive. I haven't because there's really, I there's mean, so few and far between. Right? Like I said, they're so far. Right, right. Exactly. I, but um, like for sure, there's not that many hijabi cops. Um, I would all, say, but um, um, to be but there's more black men absolutely i had an uncle that was a cop my godfather is a dea agent um so won't name drop um but right so i i i truly don't have if you're someone in law enforcement that doesn't mean i automatically have disdain for you that's not the case Right. I'm talking right, specifically right. about the institution and how like Big Crit has a line where he says uh, and they wonder why we bang. Police do the same. That's the only rival gang. 
And that's really mm-hmm. what it is. They have a us versus them mentality. Yeah. And that's just that's no, the culture I, I, of the blue. I, the boys in blue. So I, I think if you were to encounter that scenario, I hope that it would be what you're kind of envisioning it would be, that you would get that sense of comfort. But I would be cautious uh, because just because someone it, it depends what they want to represent. Do they want to represent their Islamic roots and have that empathy for you? Or are they going to be more empathetic to the corrupt cop who their partner or somebody on the force that they want to impress? It just depends where that person is in that in their life at that moment. Mm, yeah. No, and I think that that's really hard, right? Because when there is trouble or something goes wrong, like you are, you're supposed to call the cops, yeah. right? Like they're supposed to be there for you. So you would think in a situation where you're asking for help, um, you know, I, I, I would imagine. So I think I've been um, encountered by uh, black police officers maybe about three times, three, maybe okay. four. I, I don't think it's been five, right? Uh, yeah. Different circumstances. Both of them not really enjoyable. One of them gave me a ticket for going like maybe five miles over the speed limit, like right. maybe five. Um, and it was like I was with the flow of traffic. Like okay, you know, so it wasn't like oh yeah, it was that quote unquote what people try to say oh it was a brother to brother moment. So he hooked you up. No, he gave me a ticket same way. Every other cop has given me a ticket. Yeah, that's that's just like a that's some that's on like that's just right. being petty, right? But I'm saying like I'm talking about like an actual in dangerous, dangerous situation. situation. Um, let in a dangerous situation, um, cops um, show up. There maybe there's guns involved. Maybe there's like a, some sort of threat, some imminent threat. You're in danger, and you call a cop. Who are you going to feel more comfortable representing I, I, you for I'm, your? I'm going to be honest. If I'm in a dangerous situation. The last person I'm going to call is 911. I still have a concussion. What do you do in a dangerous situation? That I had an encounter with a cop. Like, I'm. Yeah. No, I struggle with this too. I struggle with my relationship with the cops as well. Um, I haven't had pleasant, super pleasant um, interactions. I think the most pleasant one I had was probably when I had a hit and run and they were like, yeah, we can yeah. help you. But, I, I've had um, the same thing happen to me. <laughs> um, like, they, there was a hit and run. Yeah. And somehow they said they couldn't do anything to help me, but they filed a complaint that later went to insurance for the person that hit me. I'm like, mm. what? That's so, very weird. Um, and, and again, I think it, it's a lot of times uh, it goes back to economic means. I don't know if you have if they, the person had a friend in the police department. But it's just these weird scenarios or I, I, I have so many horror stories when it comes to cops that I've. Right. And, and I say this and not even facetiously, a cop has never helped me a day in my life. I, I, I'll say I, I'll say yeah. one one experience in high school. I lost my wallet. The officer, the school officer returned it to me. 
that's it. nice. Yeah. No, and I, I don't think I don't think you're alone in that. I think that's a uh, I think a lot of people, especially our people of color, <laughs> have experienced primarily negative interactions with the cops. Um, you know, it, it's a very different. I was just talking to my therapist about this. It's a very different conversation that we have because with our families and with our children, like you know, like like especially like black mothers talking to their black sons, like hey you have to, if you're interact with the cop, make sure that you comply to this, make sure you have your hands where they can see them, make sure you pay attention and you listen. And, you know, it's like a very, like, be cautious, be cautious, be cautious. And my, my therapist, who's a white woman, she was talking about how she's like, yeah, see, like, my conversations with my kids about the cops are like, hey, if you're in trouble, you're supposed to call these people like, like, like making them a hero, right? Like, these are good guys, and they're gonna be there to help you. Whereas like the conversation you know, for colored folks is like very different as like being one myself, like ours is a very like, we got to be careful. Also, um, people don't like that I use the term colored folks to like describe myself, but like, I don't care. Your personal color. Yeah. I I know everyone's like, you have to be a person before you're a color, but like, I think that I... I'm experiences are different so it is what i'd it like is. to um, yeah yeah i know we're getting just throwing me up there for the pc police i know we're <laughs> we're getting tight on time but i have yeah one yeah yeah more question before i let you go okay, yeah well maybe two if you'll indulge me first question is yes. maybe three actually but uh i'll let you go i'll let you get out of here but first question <laughs> no you're good is Top three hip hop artist. Top three. Oh, that's hard. You can give um, us a top five. Yeah. Can I give you a can I give you a top one? Because the, the thing is I listen to such a range of music that I don't really have like one hip hop artist that I listen to adridly. I listen to like so many different genres of music that I, I don't even think I follow like one artist super regularly. Okay. So like I, I couldn't even name three that Can't I can't even give us three. Um, but the first cross one, genre. I mean three artists. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. I can do that. Um, but if it was hip hop artists, if I'm choosing one, that was easy. And it was Childish Gambino. Um, <laughs> just as like a dynamic character of like all fields. Oh my God. He is just, he's a master Talked of all. I think he's right? the most creative person. As a writer. Right uh, he really is. I mean, he he's an actor. He's a comedian. He's a director. He's like everything. He is everything all of the time. And he's incredible, incredibly talented. And I would love to be his friend one day. So that's really the ultimate goal. Um, so that's easy. But I think my top three artists, um, I love, love, love Regina Spector. Um, I love Florence Welch. Um, and I really like Hosier as well. Um, that's just like the top three that came to mind. I just watched the Amy Winehouse documentary. So I just kind of have resurfaced. Is that on HBO? Um, or... My love for her. It's on it's Netflix. On Netflix. Okay. Um, really, really good. Um, and so I've just the past 24 to 48 hours, I've just been listening to her music and singing it and just missing her. And she was just an incredible, incredibly talented person. Um, but yeah, I, I'm very into art. I'm into singer songwriter artists. So I'm very, when I listen to music, I very, very much am into the lyrics more than I'm into the sound. Um, I'm very much okay with like minimal sound or minimal beats. As long as the lyrics are good, I will. I'm the same way. So, yeah. Um, Yeah, we've had music discussions before. So, 
Yeah, yeah. And I just like the nature of being a linguist, mm-hmm. right? Like those are the things that I, I focus on. Where I, My sister is very much the opposite. She, she's really into um, the beats and the sound. I think a lot of the music she listens to is actually, um, it doesn't have lyrics, so. But you can, you do traditional dancing though, right? Like not belly dancing, but something else. Uh, I mean, I can. <laughs> and you're pretty good at I, it, I mean, right? like I like, dance at like our wedding. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd like to think I can dance. I don't know if I'm like the best ever, but yeah, I mean, like I dance at weddings. I've performed before. I, I think you saw we performed at the cultural awareness or diversity fest or whatever we had in high school. I did a belly dance with my friends there. That was really fun. Um, yeah, I've done different, different types of dance. I was on the step team, yeah. so that was fun and interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I like to indulge in the arts performance arts so can you give us three influential books three influential books okay um yes i can i love reading um there is this book uh called the dharma of the princess bride um and it is it is a book that is written by this guy and he is like a buddhist teacher and he takes um the cult classic the princess bride have you watched it yeah I love that movie. Yeah. I love that movie too. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. And um, so he takes that book and he talks about um, the different relationships that you have with people that you have in your life with people um, through the lens of like the characters in the film. So he talks about, um, you know, like friendship. And so like the relationship between um, uh the Spaniard with the sword. I'm forgetting his name right now on the top of my head. Um, and then like the guy that plays okay. under the giant, yeah. right? And so like their 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 friendship that they have in the movie. And then um, you know he talks about like love and your romantic relationships, so like Buttercup and Wesley. And then he talks about like all uh, your family have to go relationship back and watch that, that movie you have. So he talks about so good uh, between the grandpa and yeah. the son that who he's like reading the story to. And it's such a beautifully written book, and it's like different um like it's like a self I don't it's not like a self-help book but more like a self-realization book and he talks about how like um like different Buddhist understandings and interpretations and like uh how to like cultivate those relationships in like a healthy and positive way and um actually like so the guy who wrote the book his like dad's best friend was the guy who played the man with the six fingers um so I I mean it's it's an incredible book I've read it I like cried throughout the book just because of how it touched me and like if you really love the movie then you'll like see the beauty in the book even more I think if you're not a fan of the movie then like if you don't connect with the movie as much it's just like it might be a whatever book um but that that is an excellent book I will send it over to you um I'll send you a screenshot of it and then um The Alchemist is one of my favorite books that's a classic I think a lot of people have read it or at least have heard of it it um within the last yeah months four months yeah did you like it it. i didn't like it as much as i feel like other people do um yeah yeah it depends on where you are in life and like i consume oh totally so much of that um sort of like self-help uh, leadership, business, yeah. uh, self-improvement, yeah, all of that content that yeah, I feel like if I was starting, 
that would be like a great go-to book but for where I am now it was just kind of like okay yeah so I I I tell people to read that book in their life when they feel really really lost yeah um and I I think it's an excellent book of like uh it's a, it's a great starting point book, right? Where it's just like, you feel like you have no idea where you're going or what life is going to be about and like what your purpose is or like these sorts of things. And I, I think it's really, um, I think it's really powerful um, to read it um, in, uh, in that state. Um, I know the first time I read it, I, I bawled like a crazy person. Um, <laughs> so that was a really good book. Um, what else? Um, A Thousand Splendid Sons is a fantastic book. Life of Pi is a fantastic book. What was book. the one that you mentioned um, before? A Thousand Splendid a thousand Sons. Splendid sons. Okay. Um, it's an older book. It's the, it's the same, the author, Khalil Hussaini, he wrote The Kite Runner. Um, so The Kite Runner was about a relationship between two boys. Uh, a Thousand Splendid Sons relationship between two girls, actually. Um, and uh, oh, it's, it's just a beautifully and are they written during book. the same really, era really or different sad. eras of history? Um, I want to say, I think A Thousand Splendid Sons is 1960s, 50s, 60s in Kabul, Afghanistan. Um, I could be wrong, but I want to say that that was the, that was the time frame. Um, I don't, I don't remember what time frame that the kite runner was set in. So I thought kite runner takes place in like Germany, like during Nazi. No, that's incorrect. No, that I believe the kite runner was also in a bus. Oh, okay, I'm incorrect. Okay. Yeah. Um. But anyways, uh, that was a good one. Life by is a great one. Um, I'm reading. I'm in the middle of this amazing book and that I, I can't, I haven't finished it yet, but uh, it's called Ishmael by Daniel Quinn. Um, and gosh, it's so, it's so overwhelming. Uh, that's a really good, like, what is the purpose of life type of book? Um, just like, who are we? What are we doing to our earth and planet? Uh, why are we doing it? What drives the human behavior? that's a really cool read and then if you like poetry um I love poetry and whatever whatever um I just I just read uh Florence Welch's book called Useless Magic and it's a book of her lyrics so I guess like ultimately you can like look online and read her lyrics but like it's just it's a lovely um it like she compiled all her lyrics together along with art and like her own notes and then poetry as well so it's like a mix of a whole bunch of things and a lot of it's like handwritten and um it's it's really it's really 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 she's so talented Um, she's probably very underrated oh she oh totally she is she's considered a star now she is the (laughs) ultimate yeah she is the ultimate siren honestly she's just a goddess i really 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 like her work um, I like the way she thinks. <laughs> Definitely. But yeah. So do you have any more questions for me or do you have any questions for me rather? Um, I guess what, um, what do you hope to come out of this podcast? This particular episode or? <laughs> no, in just in general, your podcast in general. Um, yeah. I hope to like spark, uh, 
thought and inspiration uh, for maybe our generation, but really I want to focus it towards the next generation. Uh, people who are in high school right now, people who are thinking about college and just offering them different avenues for how they can achieve what they want in life, helping them figure out what they actually right. want to achieve in life and giving them somewhat of a a blueprint, maybe a blueprint is too strong of a word, but a guideline for uh, what their purpose right. could be. Okay. And I, okay. I hope it, I hope it becomes a movement. I hope... Uh, yeah. yeah people take off catch fire. no i i think you're, you're doing good work and you're you're talking to such wonderful people i mean just from the smallest that you gave me of people that you are planning to talk to or have already talked to i um i those are wonderful forces in my life um people that are out there they're creative um they're smart and they have their their values are very much you know in line with justice and righteousness and i i think um if anybody listens to those other folks and the, the, these podcasts, I think they'll hopefully benefit from that and at least try to find people that, you know, move them in their life. I think it's important to have good company. I think it's a reflection of yourself and it it's motivating to have motivating people in your life. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, I have one last question for you. Okay. Are you willing to come back on the Trap Life podcast? Oh, absolutely. Anytime. Okay. Anytime. Well, with that, we will let you go uh, off into your busy, game-changing, complicated world. (laughs) But uh, we thank you for having you and the uh, insight that you shared with us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. All right. I don't know what episode this will be. I will figure that out in post-production. But we wish you peace and prosperity and purpose in your journey thank you you as well take care take care all right bye welcome to the trap life podcast we will dive into the immersive worlds of entrepreneurship empowerment and empathy with an emphasis of hip-hop culture all of these concepts will be dissected and connected via a historic lens prepare for an engaging transformation Just a friendly reminder, if you experience value and insight from Trap Life, support the movement by liking, subscribing, and sharing the podcast. You are instrumental in our impact and influence on the world. Here at Trap Life, we wish you peace and vision on your journey. Trap Life equations, E to the third, H squared equals Trap Life. Entrepreneurship plus empowerment plus empathy, history plus hip hop. Hola, soy Cindy Vargas y aquí está mi historia que voy a compartir en Trap Life Podcast. Conéctate conmigo en Instagram, arroba Espero que mis experiencias te inspiran y recuerda, sueños sobre dudas, concentración sobre frustración y progreso sobre perfección. Mientras todos contestamos la pregunta, ¿Quién soy yo? Tal vez esta respuesta te pueda ayudar. Yo soy una líder. ¿Y tú? Yo soporto el cambio positivo en mi generación. Siempre doy valor a mí misma y a otros. Quédate conectado y escucha los nuevos episodios de The Most Eclectic Podcast in the World todos los miércoles y domingos en todas plataformas de podcast.